The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly, where we're exploring some of the scientific questions surrounding the coronavirus outbreak. We'd love to keep hearing from you, so do contact us using the form we've set up. Head over to theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, all one word. Lots of our listeners have got in touch to ask us about the subject of today's podcast. What role being immunocompromised can play in COVID-19 infection? Some of what we experience when we get infected with any infection is to do with the characteristics of that particular germ. But we also know that there's an equal role to be played by our own immune system. I'm Hannah Devlin. This is Science Weekly. Okay. We've got the numbers going up and it um, it looks like it's sort of recording fine. So I think we're good to go. All right, brilliant. Jenna, could we just start um, by giving your name and affiliation and title? Yeah, so I'm Dr. Jenna Machoki and I'm an immunologist at the University of Sussex. On previous episodes of Science Weekly Extra, we've looked in depth at how our bodies respond to viruses and specifically COVID-19. But it would be great if you could just give us a quick overview of when a virus enters our body, what happens and how our immune system mounts an attack against infection. Yeah, so we have all these delicate barriers to our body, such as the cells that line the respiratory tract and the cells that line the digestive tract, even the skin. These are all part of our immune system, really. And then we have various other immune cells that sit below the surface. So broadly speaking, the immune system is comprised of our white blood cells and they're split up into two parts. This is the innate and the adaptive immune system. And they work collaboratively as your body's safeguard. So uh, if we were unlucky enough to breathe in a a viral particle from the SARS-CoV-2, it has little receptors on its surface that allow it to enter into our cells that line the airways. And upon doing that, it's going to set off a red flag to our innate immune system because the innate immune cells are sitting there waiting, performing a bit of a surveillance function, and they are sort of programmed to recognise things that are our own body and things that are foreign and things that are safe and things that are dangerous. So as soon as something enters the body that's not us, it's a foreign non-self, we call it, then it's going to notice that something is is up and it's a red flag and it's going to start with this inflammatory response. So these are the symptoms that you would notice when you first get sick with any sort of illness. It's a sort of vigorous feet-first approach. But the thing is, with this kind of feet-first approach, um, there's a lot of inflammation. As much as it damages the germs, it can also damage our own tissues. And sometimes the innate immune system is not enough and it will call for backup. So then it has to call for the adaptive immune response. And this is controlled by white blood cells called lymphocytes, of which there's broadly two categories, um, the B and the T lymphocytes. So it's not just a kind of binary on-off switch, it's more like a whole series of switches and you've got to get the right kind of um, response uh, going for the right kind of pathogen. So the the T cells are kind of like the master controllers and then the B B cells, the B lymphocytes, these are the antibody producers. Um, And these take a few days to get this specific response going. So um, it can be up to three to five days before we have T and B cells being activated and called to the site of infection. 
This is also the part of the immune system that gives us uh, what we call immunological memory. So it will remember tiny molecular codes from the pathogen that's affecting us and it gives us a little portion of memory cells that will stay in our body for a long time and recognize that pathogen if it ever tries to enter us again. And another part of the immune response to any infection is the resolution phase. And for a long time, this is something that was a bit neglected. We didn't really understand it. We didn't really think about it. But it's a highly active process. It's guided by the whole inflammatory process itself. It requires bringing the tissue back to resolution, switching off the inflammation when it's no longer needed, stopping it overshooting, um, and then the healing and repairing that's required to bring everything back to normal once the offending pathogen has been uh, removed. The way you describe it, it sounds like such a an intricately balanced system. I mean, when I think of an immune response, you just sort of think of it in terms of the germs come in, that's bad. We, we send out our army of immune cells and it clears it off after a few days or however long. And, you know, one of the two sides wins out in the end. Exactly. I mean, it is, it's a complete process and you need you know, all these different events to happen at the right time and to the right extent for us to bring any um, affected tissue back to resolution. And we often think of our immune system as a binary on-off switch, but it's actually more like a series of switches. It's, you know, we use a lot of these um, military analogies, like an army going out to battle. But I think that with any army, there's always going to be the peacekeepers that have to bring a sense of resolution once um, the battle's been fought. That brings us really nicely onto something that quite a few of our listeners have emailed in about. People have wanted to know about what the potential impacts are of being immunocompromised, but it would be really helpful for you to describe what the ways are that someone's immune system might go wrong. Yeah, so there's many different ways that someone might be considered immunocompromised or immunodeficient, and it can be caused by many different circumstances. One example could be where you have a deficiency because the virus is attacking specifically the immune cells. Some other conditions like diabetes, AIDS, some cancers, um, malnutrition, certain genetic disorders, certain drugs used to treat inflammatory diseases. Also, pregnancy is considered uh, a sort of immune compromised state and also aging. So there's a few different ways. And as we discussed before, the immune system itself is quite complex. So it can really depend on which aspect of the immune system is you know, being affected by the deficiency as to how that would make a person more or less susceptible to different things like infection. You've described all of these steps and you can see that there's any step of the immune response is the potential for things to go wrong. Do we know much yet about what's kind of differentiating between people who have a very mild version of the illness and those who suffer much more severe symptoms or even die? We're still looking for clues as to why somebody would respond worse or better to the current coronavirus outbreak. Um, aside from sort of the vulnerable populations that we've discussed, there's very little clues to tell us why a normal, healthy adult with no underlying problems would develop you know, pneumonia and end up in intensive care versus another person who of the same kind of demographic who might just end up with mild symptoms or barely even know that they have the infection. We know that some of what we experience when we get infected with 
with any infection is to do with the the infective agent itself, the characteristics of that particular germ. But we also know that there's an equal role to be played by our own immune system. And I think of it as, you know, we all have our kind of own unique immune identity. The immune system genes are very unique in how they recombine when we inherit them from our parents. And that's kind of by design. So, you know, if we all reacted the same way to an infection, we'd probably have died out as a species by now. So there's an inherent immune diversity within our population. Um, and I think this is really something that we're, we're trying hard to work out. And in, in general, I think it's something that we need to understand more about in terms of how our bodies and our immune systems interact with various different infective agents. We've touched on this already, but another topic we've received a lot of questions on is autoimmune conditions. Um, it'd be just useful to maybe describe what an autoimmune disease is and how having one kind of comes into how you're likely to respond to a virus. Autoimmune diseases are, are something that's on the rise. Some of the most common ones are things like rheumatoid arthritis, um, type 1 diabetes, uh, lupus. Um, I like to think of it as it's a case of mistaken identity in the body. Um, as we produce our adaptive immune cells, the T and B cells, they become educated to recognise what molecules belong to us and what molecules belong to something else, so a non-self, something like a germ. But when we have an autoimmune condition, our T and B cells mistakenly recognise part of ourself as something foreign. And then these unchecked T and B cells just start to wreak havoc on the body. And the causes behind autoimmunity remain quite broad and murky. What we know for sure is that there's rarely a single cause. So approximately 30% is, is linked to genetics, particularly the genes of our immune system. But the remaining sort of 70% is the result of a whole spectrum of different triggers from our environment, situations we encounter, um, stress, other lifestyle factors. And we refer to this as the mosaic of autoimmunity. So there's no one recipe of factors. We know that with certain autoimmune, well, with all autoimmune diseases, there's an underlying immune deregulation. So something's gone wrong and that could then generally leave that person more likely to respond inappropriately to infection. But most of the time, people with autoimmune diseases tend to be immune compromised as a result of their medications they could be taking for their disease. So immune suppressive drugs to shut down this inappropriate immune response that's causing the problem. So there's often a complex balancing act to make sure that people who have to be on these medications long term can still remain enough immunity to protect themselves from infections, but also sufficient to suppress their immune processes that are happening in the body. One of our listeners wondered whether having an overactive immune system could actually be helpful and it mean you're at less risk of getting a severe case of COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to think about with this adaptive immune response that would be triggered in in an autoimmune disease, as well as in COVID-19, for example, is that these responses are very specific to particular, we call them antigens, so particular molecules 
associated with that disease. So in rheumatoid arthritis, the overactive immune response is directed at little antigens in the joints, whereas at COVID-19, they would be directed at the virus. So they're kind of partitioned off in that sense. But inflammation can be quite damaging to our own tissues. And if you already have raised level of inflammation in the body, and then you experience infection with coronavirus, I think that could actually be perhaps problematic because as I mentioned earlier you need a very controlled immune response. I've seen a lot of people recommending things on you know whatsapp messages and uh, you know taking vitamin c vitamin d all sorts of stuff are there any things that we could all do to boost our immune systems? Yeah I mean I'm sort of one that hates the word boost scientifically it's probably not the most appropriate thing to think about because we need this balance we need the inflammation and the army going out to fight but we also need to bring back a sense of resolution if people are thinking about their immune system because of the current coronavirus pandemic then the best thing is to think about taking care of your immune system for life not just for COVID-19 because it really is the foundation of your health and well-being and it's actually the, the key kind of driver behind how well we age. So there's a few different things that are within our power. Much of it is probably something that we cannot change. But from a diet standpoint, people really need to maintain an energy balance. So um, not just eating a balanced diet, but also not over consuming calories consistently or under consuming calories consistently, because both of those states can shift the balance of the immune response and make you less able to fight infections. We also need all of the relevant essential vitamins and minerals for the immune system to work well, vitamin C and zinc being the, probably the main ones. That's because we know that when we are mounting an immune response to an infection, that the need for these go up quite dramatically. And there's been a few studies showing that taking extra vitamin C may take the edge off a cold and flu, help you recover quicker. But that being said, we don't know for COVID-19. It's not just food. The immune system needs good quality sleep. It needs us to be getting movement in every day. It needs us to be managing our stress adequately. There's not really one lever that's going to be more important for your immune system over the other, but I think we all have our Achilles heels, so we kind of have to look at all of these collectively. Uh, Thanks so much, Jenna, for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Jenna. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns about being immunocompromised during the coronavirus outbreak, do speak to your doctor or specialist. The government's guidance on social distancing for those who are vulnerable can be found on the webpage for this podcast. Just head over to theguardian.com and search for Science Weekly. We want to keep hearing your questions on the science behind the outbreak You can get in touch by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, all one word. Thanks for listening and do stay safe. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.